Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Pull out my notes here. I actually uh, was going to be here about 25 minutes early, and then I left my notes and my Bible on my porch, so good thing we left early because we rushed back. And then uh, made it here in time, so I was happy about that. Um, all right, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. You guys can turn with me there if you would look. Uh, yeah, just turn with me there, please. And uh, we're going to do, I'll give a little brief context of uh, what, what what's kind of happened previously that brings us to the point of our story today. Um, if you haven't been here. Um, In Acts uh, chapter 25 and 26, it's going to be a pretty brief summary, Uh, the Jews are trying to have Paul put to death, whether whether he's tried in court or out in the streets where they just want to shiv him, I guess. (laughs) Um, But he's going to the courts. He's taken before Governor Felix in Caesarea, He gives his defense, Uh, then Paul ends up being kept in custody for two years. Nothing really happens with that. Uh, After two years, Paul goes before Felix's successor, Festus. So Festus is now governor, and uh, Paul again gives a defense. And during, during this time, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, and Festus says to, you know, to him you appeal, to him you will go. Um, and then King Agrippa comes, and Fest, you know, Fest, I guess Festus has Agrippa come, listen to Paul, and Paul makes his defense before King Agrippa. And at the end of that, King Agrippa and Festus are talking, and they say, man, this guy's done nothing worthy of death. Uh, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could have just let him go. Um and that kind of brings us to our passage today, chapter 27. It'll be the full passage. Um, and during this time, I'm going to kind of read it in portions, and then we'll kind of talk about it as we go. Um, so, uh, also, I don't know if it has it in the Bibles, but in my ESV Bible, there's a nice map in the back. I don't know if there's a map in the back of the, the, new, the new ones here. But my guess, if it's similar to mine, it'll be the last map there. Uh, Paul's third missionary journey and his voyage to Rome. His voyage to Rome, it gives a good, like, dot, dot, dot of how far Paul is going in here. Because we're going to name a lot of places. Oh, look at this. We're going we're gonna to name a few. We're going to name a few places, and uh, uh, that can be helpful to follow along if, if you want to see there. Um, also, before I start, I, I, I want you guys to um, imagine a friend telling you about their struggle with sin. Maybe you've had somebody do this for you, and you can kind of come back to that moment. But if you've not, I kind of want you to imagine a friend telling you about their struggle with sin. 
Uh, they go on about how they've tried many things to correct, to fix what's going on again and again. Um, and maybe they feel like they've had you know, some success, but then it's just come crashing down. Uh, and it sounds like they are convinced that they're not going to be able to get, to get out. And they feel like they're doomed to repeat the inevitable. All hope seems lost to them in this struggle with sin. And finally, they say to you, kind of in a cry of desperation, I don't know what to do. I actually had this happen to me, and I went about it the wrong way, but in that instance, what would you tell them? Or what did you tell them if you have experienced that? Um, and I kind of just want, I think this, this passage gives a, a little glimpse of what we are to do. Um, and this is my statement for you all today. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ and voyagers in this vast world of sin and hardship, we are to be giving hope of salvation and deliverance to the many souls who are lost in it. We'll, we'll come back to that later. It's going to kind of build up to that in the middle of this story, but let's Let's uh, read the start of our passage, and let me try and keep track of time here. <clears throat> All right. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, verse 1, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Um, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Um, so we see Paul here, he's prisoner, um, uh, he's still the apostle, he's still an ambassador of Christ, right, ambassador to the Gentiles, he's on a ship, he's got a couple of his friends, he's got uh, Aristarchus, and he also has Luke, and you'll see when, because Luke, the author of the passage, says we multiple times in here, so when he says we, he's including himself in there, so he's got a couple of friends with him, um, why they're with him or how they're with him is kind of, uh, I guess, slightly debated whether he took them along as uh, slaves because um, he was a Roman citizen and had certain benefits um, or whether they just kind of had the freedom to 
take passage on this boat. Um, as we, yeah. Um, so he's got a couple of friends. Uh, also kind of shows us that he has favor with uh, the centurion. Uh, at least the centurion's kind to him. When they're at one of the ports, he lets Paul go and be cared for by one of his friends. So we see this um, kind of favor toward Paul. But I want you to notice the difficulty of the voyage by the language used. And um, we just read it. Um, but he mentions the winds were against us. We sailed slowly. We arrived with difficulty. The wind did not allow us to go farther. Coasting along it was difficult. Um, this was a difficult journey out on the ocean where, well, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of the sea um, when you're out there if it starts becoming difficult or getting dangerous. And, you know, we live, we live in a difficult and dangerous world. Um, we live in a fallen world, right? Um, because this, we have difficulty. I mean, you just take kind of events of, I don't know, the last few months, the slander and abuse in politics, um, the riots and destruction, um, Kind of on a different note, the confusion of truth, sexuality, morals. Uh, within communities, we see um, uh, domestic violence, violence in homes. Uh, we see addiction. Um, we see disease. We see loss of purpose, loss of loved ones, persecution, and various, maybe not so much here, but looking at uh, believers in other countries that have severe physical persecution. We live in a depraved world that is against mankind. It's against the truth of God's word changing hearts and minds. Jesus said in John 15, the world hated me. It's going to hate you too. And to top it all off, we also have Satan out there looking and seeking whom he may devour. That makes for a difficult world that we live in. And we're not in control. We live in a difficult and fallen world that we have to navigate through as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we move on to our next portion here. Paul's, uh, in verses 9 through 13, Paul's warning is ignored. Says, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So the voyage up to this point was difficult. Now things were getting dangerous. 
things were getting dangerous. Um, and it mentions that, uh, where is that? Even the fast was already over. This is, the fast is speaking of the Day of Atonement. And um, scholars uh, have seen that around or AD 59, the Day of Atonement would have landed about October 5th. So moving into October, this is after October 5th, moving into um, times where you don't want to be out at sea because the conditions are dangerous. And things are getting dangerous. So Paul warns them, you know, that if the voyage goes on, that there's going to be injury. You know, he perceives um, probably out of his uh, many trips, I mean, he's gone on three missionary journeys. I mean, you can just look at all, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we've gone through it in Acts. So if you've been here, you'll know. But I mean, if, even if you look at those maps, you can just see all of these different places and how, many, and how many miles he's been at sea. You know, Paul's got some experience here. Um, he's not making uh, necessarily a prediction. Uh, he's not making a prophecy that there will be loss of lives. Um, and we'll get to more of that later. Um, but I think Paul's got some credibility, you know. Um, but the centurion uh, ends up ignoring Paul's advice for the advice of the pilot and owner. And also this majority, it seems like there was a majority vote uh, of some sort, mainly because they wanted to get to a better port where they would stay for the rest of the winter, and then they would, they would move on from there. And this one wasn't, wasn't as good. Um, and so out of... Um, he was ignored because of the chance that they could reach Phoenix. Now, from what I understand is that Phoenix was about a day away. So if they could just get one good day of weather, one good day of weather, they could make it to this next port. Um, but Paul is ignored. Um Kind of when I was reading this, I uh, there's a lot of uh, evangelistic, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Evangelistic um, not studies, uh, courses, evangelistic courses, and I feel like some of their their uh, uh, their their reasoning with their uh, evangelism, which I think is good. Like, you, I, you've probably all heard this, but if you see a person walking towards a cliff, and they don't know they're walking towards a cliff, but you know they're walking towards a cliff, you're going to run up to them, and you're going to be like, you need to stop the direction you're going. You're going to run off that cliff. Right? When we see when we see people as, as followers of God, when we see those who are making 
or who have made decisions that are destructive to themselves and to others, we warn them. We warn them, and it's not our job to, uh, we, I mean, we can't force them to listen to us. We can't force them to believe in the gospel that they are headed in the wrong direction, that they are headed towards hell. They have not believed on Jesus Christ. We can warn them about it, and we can point them to Jesus, but they don't. They are not obligated to listen or believe what we say, but I believe we are obligated to warn them as believers in Jesus Christ. Whether we are warning an unbeliever of eternal damnation or we are warning a believer um, from backsliding and causing his relationship with God to struggle. So Paul warns them, and they ignore his advice. We, and then we see that the storm, uh, a storm causes all hope to be abandoned. Verse 13, now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along creek close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were dri- driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo or throw off the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned." And in the midst of this storm that they're experiencing, uh, oh, sorry, I jumped down here. So this voyage now goes, you know, it is now not just dangerous, but it is uncontrollably dangerous. It becomes violent and uncontrolled. Again, we notice the language used here tempestuous wind. It struck down. The ship was caught and could not face the wind. It gave way. The ship was driven along. It was violently storm-tossed, overcast with no sun, stars, no small tempest lay on us. Over days, being not being in control. In fact, they realize they're not in control and they try to get in control. You know, they they try to, you know, they run under the lee of Kata and set anchor 
And so they're kind of protected for a little bit. And then, well, they got to change what they're doing because something else is going wrong. Um, I don't know. They, they hoist up the, the lifeboat into, into the ship. They lowered the gear, um, threw the ship's tackle overboard. I'm not going to get too into what all of that was, but we see that they are trying desperately to get back to land, to get in control of what's going on, to be in better control. Uh, and, you know, for most people, that's how it goes. For you and me, when times get difficult and each of us goes through difficulty, if you're not, man, praise God. But uh, when we go through difficulty, oft times we try to fix it ourselves and do it in our own strength. We try all the things to make it work, and it looks at like one point we can set anchor and things are good, and then something gets in the way and all that plan's gone. Time after time, when you, when you keep doing things over and over again, it gets exhausting. And there are so many people who are experiencing loss of hope, abandoned hope today. Maybe, maybe you're here. I don't know. Maybe you have lost hope. Maybe you've abandoned hope because or they maybe they have abandoned hope, hope of being delivered free from addiction, sexual immorality, anger, violence. You name it, the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that maybe your friend brought to you and said he was struggling with, and he's losing hope, it's out of control, we're in sin, and that sin separates us from, from our Creator. Because of, because of sin, all hope of being well, all hope of being saved is lost, is abandoned. And Luke wrote, he said, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned in the midst of this storm that they could not get in control. We move into our next section. Paul gives hope with the promise of God's salvation. Verses 21 through 26. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong, and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, 
you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. In the midst of this storm that they were experiencing with no food being eaten, everyone's exhausted, they're probably drenched, they're starving, they're anxious. Some of them are probably seasick, if not all of them seasick. No small tempest. They're miserable. And Paul gives a message of hope. I'm not sure if it's what they wanted to hear at that moment in the middle of a storm. And we see that Paul didn't just say these words and the storm stopped, right? But first, Paul reminds those who disregarded his advice. You know, this, this, is, this is exactly what I said was going to happen. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, oh my goodness, this is what I said was going to happen. Now we're in the storm. We're stuck here forever. That's it. Done. We're going to die here. Thanks, guys. You should have listened to me. No. Paul goes on and he urges them. He says, take heart, take courage, for there will be no loss of life among you. And Paul goes on to tell of an angel of God who stood before him. Like He doesn't say it was a dream or anything. He says he stood before him. And I'm thinking, man, the passengers on board must have been like, I don't know if he's a little bit crazy, but I didn't see any angel standing in front of him last night. <laughs> But Paul states, or Paul, you know, Paul tells of this angel of God, and he also specifies that it's his God whom he belongs to and worships. This is not another God. This is Paul's God, Jesus Christ, who met him on the way to Damascus. Uh, he tells them that the angel told him that he must have appear before Caesar. Now we, we, we know in Acts 19 and 23 that Paul is going to go to Rome. In those, in those chapters, it says Paul's going to Rome. Here specifically, it says he's going he's gonna to be before Caesar. He's going to Rome. So, you know, he must stand before Caesar, kind of a, I guess, a promise uh, uh, for, for Paul. But Paul doesn't stop there. He states that God has granted all the lives that have set sail with Paul. I feel like this is God's, God's grace and favor over Paul kind of extends to everybody on board. Paul gets to be a part of, a part of that. And he says a second time, he says, take heart, take courage. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. In the midst of a difficult voyage and dangerous storm, when all hope was abandoned, Paul gives hope of salvation from God. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, 
We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ and voyagers. You know, I'm going to just restart. This is what I read at the beginning. You and I, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ and voyagers in this vast world of sin and hardship, are to be giving hope of salvation and deliverance to the many souls who are lost in it. I was convicted because when my friend came to me, I did not tell him that he needed to turn to Jesus for his deliverance. It went through my mind, and I was like, he's probably heard this before. And I should have brought him back to it. So I was convicted. So when somebody comes to you hopeless, don't just make excuses. Tell them of the salvation and deliverance of Jesus Christ. When we interact with those who have lost hope of deliverance because of sin, of addiction, sinful habits, desires, etc., we can share the hope of deliverance through Christ and the cross. We are broken and sinful and deserving of death, but God in his grace sent Jesus to take that deserved death that when we put our faith and trust and life in Jesus Christ, we are set free from the bondage of sin. Romans 6, um, 17 through 19 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. You can be set free from sin because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so Paul gives hope, gives a message of hope, salvation, deliverance from God. But that's not the end there, right? Because they're still in the storm. Like I said, Paul didn't just say, oh, we're going to be delivered, and boom, the storm was gone. They were out to sea for, or at least in this storm, for 14 days. This specific, um, this specific storm. So we move on. Uh, to verses 27 through 32, and we see that God's way of salvation is upheld. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And you know, they're getting closer to land. It's, uh, it's still dark. It's still nighttime or at least it's dark out, so they're not seeing too much. Um, and as the sailors were seeking to, his, sorry, and fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. <laughs> the sailors are knowing they're getting close to land. They got a lifeboat they could head out on maybe right before daybreak, right before it gets light outside. Like, you know, 
make it to land. I mean, Paul already, Paul already said that everybody was going to make it, so nobody should care if we leave with this boat. They tried to leave by night and by deception uh, on the ship's boat. And then uh, Paul brings up this condition, or it seems like it can seems like a condition to me, but uh, he mentions this, and he says, unless the sailors stay on the boat, you cannot be saved. He didn't mention that earlier. The sailors... Again, show us again the measures people take to save themselves apart from God. They had heard God's message that God was going to save them, that they were going to run aground, and they decided they were going to take the small boat and save themselves. Salvation is done God's way. In the case with the ship, everyone had to be on the ship, I guess, when it ran aground. Everybody had to be together and experience the salvation from the storm as the angel had told them. In the case of spiritual salvation, um, it is by Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You do not get to ride in on the coattails of your pastor, your church, your family, group affiliation. You individually have to believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. No one can do that for you. You have to come to God his way. And it's right here in his word. So again, we're still on this boat. <laughs> still haven't quite made it to land here. Uh, we move into our next section, uh, verses 33 to 38. Paul encourages the people with food, salvation, and thanksgiving. It's the 14th day, daylight's coming, uh, and Paul urges everybody to take food because at this point, nobody's had any food. Again, they are probably starving. They haven't been able to keep down food. There was something I was reading, they, they probably couldn't even cook it because it was so, you know, probably couldn't even light a fire or anything. <laughs> But he urges them to take food. He says, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, uh, for it will give you strength. Uh, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship, and when they had eaten enough, they lighten the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea.
Paul encourages them again. Like I said, they weren't delivered immediately after Paul told them the message from the angel. This time things are getting closer. It's daylight. I don't know if the storm's calmed down some. I'm sure, uh, you know, land's in sight. And Paul encourages them to take food to eat. Of course, he knows the from what the angel had said, they're going to hit the 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 ship's going to run aground. They're going to have to do some they're going to have to do some swimming. Um, and everybody's exhausted and they need strength. So Paul encourages them to take food. He says, for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. He again reminds them of the salvation that is to happen. They're going to be saved from this storm. And, uh, I mean, how much we need to be reminded. I mean, I don't know how long it was between him, the angel telling him, and uh, this 14th day. But they needed to be reminded of this salvation. Um, And even as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded of and retold of God's salvation. We have a time for that as well. It's communion. And oddly, even though I'm like, they say this, this is mostly unbelievers, we can at least account for Paul and Aristarchus and Luke who were believers there, um, whether this is a communion moment or not, or um, maybe it's a personal moment for Paul. But when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And at communion, we remember the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We remember the price that he paid, the blood that was shed, We remember his body, which was broken for us. Um, And I don't doubt that Paul thanked God for his salvation. Gave thanks to God, his God, Paul's God, Jesus Christ, in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat, and they were encouraged Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We are to encourage one another. And one of those things we encourage one another in is the gospel of Christ. Our last section, I know we're kind of, yeah, we're doing okay. Uh, 
the last section here, the soldier's plan versus God's plan. Verses 39 through 43, it says, Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes uh, that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind. They made for the beach, trying to lay off every, every weight that's going to get them to the beach, every hindrance. But they strike a reef. So striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept him from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was, excuse me, that all were brought safely to land. Um, We just, we just see the sovereignty of God here, you know. I mean, we see it throughout the whole, the whole here, but we see it again when, uh, so we've got the soldier's plan. The ship's run aground. We can't have prisoners escape because in that time, if a Roman soldier let a prisoner escape, they got to take the punishment that that prisoner was going to get. So if the punishment was death, the Roman soldier was going to die. He was going to be put to death. So all, all these soldiers are like, we can't let anybody escape or we are dead men, or pretty much. Um, sounds like a pretty solid plan for them, you know, let nobody escape. Um, but it's like, didn't they listen to Paul? <laughs> no, didn't, didn't they hear what Paul said, that not a hair of their head was, you know, not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you, that an angel came to Paul and said, everybody on board with you is going to be saved. And yet there's this kind of, uh, uh, the, the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their plan. But I don't know, you just can't deny God's working here. Um, keeping everybody safe just as God had said it would happen. Despite the soldier's plan, God's sovereignty is clearly seen as the ship runs aground and everyone with Paul was saved from the storm. And I kind of wanted to be a little bit funny here. I said, no storm can blow away his plan. <laughs> but I want to end with this. And this is kind of what we started with. God, uh, yeah. God is sovereign, and as his disciples, we take part in his plan of salvation to the world. We are to bring God's message of hope to those who have abandoned hope, whether in our family, our friends, our community, or wherever we find it. So, I would encourage you um, to be a part of God's salvation message to the world this week. Thank you.